All right, let's open our Bibles tonight to the 119th Psalm, Psalms 119. Somebody told me there's a game going on or something tonight, and uh, I was unaware of it. I uh, I don't watch professional ball. I don't care if you do. I'm not. I'm not trying to be spiritual. I just. Uh, it's just. If it was a college football championship, I would have known what day it was. Amen. But I just don't watch professional ball. But allegedly, they tell me there is a a game going on, and uh, I'm glad you chose to be here. Amen. I, I believe what we got going on here is better than what they got going on there. Um, we ain't gonna have no halftime. Amen. And uh, even if we did, I wouldn't sing to you. Now, sure enough, if I preach at you, it'll be spiritual, not political. Won't tell you how dumb you are for everything you think and believe. Uh, or if I do, you probably deserve it. Amen. And uh, so I, I'm just thrilled to be able to be with you tonight in the house of the Lord. Psalms 119. Let's begin reading in verse number 81. Psalms uh, 119, uh, verse number 81. The psalmist says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation. But I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. I pray that you'd bless your people. Lord, I pray that you'd stir hearts. I pray that, Father, you'd draw us closer unto thee. And I pray that, Lord, we, we just, we are yours. We are the sheep of, of your pasture. We are your people. So we put ourselves wholly in your care and wholly in your control tonight. And we trust that it'll be to our growth and development, Lord, that we might walk away from this service tonight if we've been obedient to you, looking more like Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we do, that'll satisfy us. Lord, we'll be, like the psalmist said, we'll be satisfied when we awake with your likeness. Make us more like Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. I want us to notice in particular a verse and a phrase in a verse of uh, this passage in the book of Psalms. Verse number 83, the psalmist describing his calamity and his affliction says, I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. That phrase arrested my attention when I read it a few weeks back, and I often do this as I'm in the reading of God's Word. I'll have a pen handy or I'll have some digital device that I can take notes on handy. And when things jump out to me, I'll just put back a little note. And I found that most of the time making a uh, making a literal note uh, helps me make a mental note. And very often then God will begin to uh, work in my heart and mind about these passages of Scripture. He'll uh, bring them back to my memory and my attention in the coming days, and God will begin to speak to me about uh, some of the things that are that are found in these passages. And that's how it was with this passage. I began to think about uh, what it would mean to be a bottle in the smoke. I believe it seems apparent to me from the passage that David 
is drawing an analogy. He's using this as a metaphor, as a picture, saying that he himself is like the bottle that a man might see uh, hanging there in the smoke. You know, it reminds me of a few things uh, when I think about that. Just by way of a little introduction, these aren't even in my notes, but let me just make a few comments that maybe will help reinforce that. You know, a bottle is a vessel. The worth of the bottle is found in its ability to be filled and poured out and filled and poured out. It is not a, in this day and age, a one-time use object. But it is something that would be filled up and emptied and filled and emptied and filled and emptied all the time. It's a reminder of what it is to be a Christian. You know, as a child of God, God is constantly filling us up and emptying us out. He's constantly feeding our soul, giving us spiritual strength, nourishing and nurturing us in the truth of the Word of God. But it's not that we might become filled up and overbloated and burst. It's that He might pour us out in service unto Him. That He might use us for His glory. Any Christian that ain't getting poured out is bound to be unhappy. Any Christian's not being used of God. They're not expending their energy uh, their mental and emotional and spiritual energy in the service of God. You're bound to grow stale and stagnant and discontent on the inside. A bottle is a vessel and it's meant to be poured out. A bottle is something that only does you any good if it's in your immediate presence. It doesn't do any good to know there's a bottle somewhere. You want that bottle to be there when you reach for it. It's a reminder that we only find our meaning and our purpose in as much as we stay close to the Master. Uh, we won't be used of God if we won't stay close to Him. There's a lot of us want God to use us, but we don't want to walk with Him. We don't want to read His Word. We don't want to pray to Him. We don't want to spend time with Him. But we want God just to reach out and grab us from a distance whenever it's time for us to be used for something. It don't work like that, friend. We've got to stay close to Him. And the bottle is of no use if it is not something uh, that is at hand. We've got to be at hand for the Lord if we want Him to be able to use us. And it's a reminder to me, you know, a bottle, the main value in the bottle is in the contents. Uh, you, you can have a bottle of, of just water, which you ever thought we'd have come to a day, we'd be buying water by the bottle. You can have a bottle of water and it not be very valuable, but you can have a, a, a bottle of some other type of liquid uh, and it's meaningful and it's valuable. And it's a reminder that the worth of our life is not on the externalities, but friend, it's what's on the inside. And I'm not talking about your character. I'm not talking about your personality. I'm talking about the life of Christ within us. Everybody all right tonight? You're a little quiet on me this evening. I, I said whenever I come in, everybody seemed quiet like it's guilty. And, and I got folks moving seats and everything. I don't know what's happening. Somebody, somebody's done, done, broke into somebody's house or something. And, uh, the, the value of the bottle is what's inside of it. And listen, your life and my life may not mean much on, on their own. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I know this runs contrary to what Oprah and Dr. Phil and half the preachers on TV tell you, but it's, it's not you that's so special. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. But if we'll give our heart and life to Him, man, He can make something valuable out of our life. And uh, He can make something meaningful out of it. So I don't think it's a stretch that the psalmist is talking about himself. But he does not describe a bottle uh, that is in a normal condition, if we can say it that way. He instead describes a bottle in the smoke. And again, it's apparent from the context that he's talking about affliction. He says in verse 81, My soul fainteth. 
for thy salvation. Verse 82, mine eyes fail uh, for thy word. Uh, verse number 84, he pleads with God, when wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? Verse 85, he says, the proud have dig pits for me which are not after thy law. Verse 86, he says, they persecute me wrongfully. Verse 87, he said, they had almost consumed me upon the earth. And verse 88, he asked God to quicken him. Every verse surrounding it is a verse about persecution and affliction. And so he's, he's describing a state in his life, a season in his life, where things are not going the way that he desires them. And yet in the midst of all that, he finds that the Lord is enough. And let me say that, uh, let me get a little more specific. He finds that the Word of God is enough during that season. And so I want to preach to you tonight for a few moments about being like a bottle in the smoke. This is a message that none of us hope we ever need, but sooner or later we will. We don't ever ask to go through what the psalmist is going through. And your, your affliction probably won't look like his affliction. But it'll have the same effects on you. And so we need to have the same attitude that he had. Some of y'all may have seen me carry this up. I'm not, I'm not an object lesson preacher. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to take anyone's eyes off of my good looks most of the time. But, uh, every once in a while I do find it necessary. I, I, I bought this online the other day. And, uh, this is, we call it today a Boda bag. I don't know why they call it that, but that's what they call it. And uh, and it's mostly made today, folks carry it, I guess, that drink wine. So if somebody if somebody from Amazon says, your preacher bought a wine bottle on Amazon, you know why, amen. It, it was for the message tonight. But uh, it's key to understanding something about what David's talking about, to have an idea of what a bottle was when he used the term bottle. Now, there were times in the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament prophets uh, talked about an earthen bottle, and that bottle would have been a lot more similar to a bottle like you or I might have today. But the bottle that David's talking about is not made of glass, it's not made of wood, it's not made of a hard material, but it was common in the in, in the East in those days, and in some ways it still is, there's still places where they do this. Uh, a bottle would be basically a piece of animal skin that would be sewn together, and it would look something similar to this. It wouldn't be a hard material, it would be a, a flexible material. And they would take that animal skin and, and sew it up and seal it up. Often it would have a, a bladder on the inside that would be made maybe out of the stomach of that animal and then leather on the outside. And, and they would take and sew it up and that's what they would store liquids in. And so when David says a bottle in the smoke, he's not talking about a Coca-Cola bottle. He's not talking about a milk bottle. He's talking about a bottle in some ways similar to this. And that in and of itself, I think, is very suggestive and illuminating. Because I'll be honest, if he was talking about a glass bottle, I don't know how badly smoke would hurt it. But you take something like this and, and hang it up in the path of, of heat and flame and smoke long enough, eventually it's going to have an impact. Now, in those days, it was uh, common for a couple reasons. A bottle might find itself constantly within the smoke. One of them I'll tell you about when we get to it in the course of the message. But often in the tents that they lived in, uh, they would uh, cook by semi-open flame and and they normally didn't have a chimney necessarily, but they'd have a flap at the top of, of their tent. And, and the smoke would exit through that flap at the top of their tent, maybe the door uh, to the tent being open on the side. And so a traveler uh, or an, uh, a sojourner would very often, when he'd go into his tent, he would take his bottle off and he would often hang it up somewhere inside that tent, somewhere high where it would be out of the way and he wouldn't stumble over it. But what that meant is, is many times, day after day, week after week, month after month, 
uh, that that bag would spend time there, it would hang there in the smoke and it would begin to change its appearance and change its properties. And David, in the midst of his affliction, maybe he was sitting in a tent at this time when he penned this, I don't know. But certainly, whether with his physical eye or with his mind's eye, he could look up and see one of those bottles, black and shriveled, hanging there from all of the smoke that it's been put through. And he said, you know, that's kind of how I feel with what I'm going through. And it reminds me of what affliction looks like. Now, I want to give you a few thoughts this evening, and then uh, we'll go over and fellowship, or maybe you'll go home and watch football, but uh, I want to give you these thoughts very quickly before we do. I want to say a word tonight first about the place of the bottle. The place of the bottle. Now, remember, David says when he sees that bottle hanging there, he says, that's where I feel like I'm at in life. You ever have a time in your life where you just feel like things are not settled like they used to be? Where you feel like you're going through a season of affliction and trial and challenge and, and difficulty? And you just sort of feel like you're hanging in the middle of nowhere and experiencing the trials you're going through. That's what David looked, he looked at that and he said, you know, that's where I feel like I'm at. And I thought about a few things. When he talks about the place of the bottle hanging there in the tent with the fire going, it reminded me of three things. One, this bottle was in a place of combustion. How many of you know this is true? Where there's smoke, there's what? Fire. He would not have said like a bottle in the smoke if there had not been fire to produce that smoke. And fire in the Word of God over and over and over again is used to symbolize affliction and trial, heat and difficulty, times when life is is ignited and is combustible. Things are not stable. They're not steady. They're not as they've always been. But it seems like things are just going up in flames. He said, that's what my life has felt like. You're going to go through seasons in your life, I've been through them in mine, where it seems like everything that we knew to be true or everything that we knew to be dependable, I guess maybe I should say it that way, everything that we knew, the people we knew would never hurt us, hurt us. The people we knew never would leave us, leave us. Uh, the people that, the, the things in life that we knew would always be a certain way, all of a sudden are turned up on their, on their head. And everything we've been through uh, amounts to a fire of affliction. I think he's in a place of combustion. He says, you know, the flame is burning. The fire, the uncomfort, uh, the heat, uh, the discomfort, the difficulty. It's a place of combustion. Let me say number two, evidently, it is a place of confinement. So how do you know that, preacher? Well, because to some degree, greater or lesser, that smoke can't escape. He's not in the open air, but this bottle is hanging somewhere where it is walled in and the smoke cannot Get away. You know, there'll be times in your life the greatest element of your affliction will be that you simply don't know where to go or what to do. Uh, There are some problems, and this is one of the things that's hard, especially for us men to grapple with as we get older. Uh, Oftentimes we live our lives used to fixing things, uh, used to making a way, used to uh, fixing problems and solving things and and, and just sort of being the masters of our own fate and the masters of our own life. Very often you'll run into a time in your life where, try as you may, you cannot control what's going on around you. And you, you'd figure a way out, and you'd get a way out if there was a way out, but there is no way out. You're walled in. The Bible describes a time in the Old Testament uh, when Hagar, uh, the mother of Ishmael, the handmaiden of Sarah, uh, came to a place where the Bible says she was uh, at the well of Beersheba, where uh, Egypt goes down to shore, and it's a place that uh, means a walled-up place. And it reminds us that there 
are times in our life where it just tries me, we may, we cannot get out of the problems we're faced. You're going to face things that uh, you cannot make your way through and you cannot make your way out of. You're not going to leave it. You'll just have to, by God's grace, survive it. It was a place of confinement. Then let me say number three, uh, it was a place of confusion. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I would imagine with all that smoke in there, it would be hard to see, wouldn't you? Uh, I'll, occasionally, we've got a little smoker at home. We like to cook things on it. and uh, Occasionally, I'll have to work in there. Isn't it funny how smoke has a way of finding you? I always say smoke has a way of finding good looks. Amen? That at least makes me feel better, even if it's a lie. But you can stand and that smoke will follow you around the top of that of, of that smoker. We go and we do our uh, our bonfire every November and, and uh, it seems like it does the same. Whoever gets closest to the fire, that smoke will seem to find them. Uh, oftentimes I'll have to look down in that smoker, uh, maybe adjust something, check a temperature on something. But uh, first thing that happens, uh, I, you know, I'm not real bright. <laughs> And, 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 but it happens to me every time I take that lid off and that smoke will billow up into my face and my eyes will begin to burn and, and instinctively you close your eyes. And uh, certainly if a person was in a smoky room, they would not be able to see anything. Their vision would be impaired. In fact, one of the first things they tell you in fire safety if there's uh, some kind of fire is to get down low to the ground. Well, that's for two reasons. One, because the air would be cleaner down there, but two is because that's the only place you can see that smoke rises. This bottle is hung up in the tent in a place where the vision is impaired. I'm always, when I consider a thought similar to this, and, and you find as you preach the Word of God that you talk a lot about this matter of confusion, place of confusion. I'm always reminded of the book of Job. Job's greatest uh, persecutor was his confused mind in the midst of what he was going through. His greatest problem was he could not figure out what God was doing. He talked about it. He said, I, I go forward and he's not there. I go backwards and I can't find him. I look on the right hand where he doth work. He's not there. I look on the left and behold, he's not there. Job said, if I could find him, I would order my cause before him. I would declare my my case, my cause. I, I would plead with him. Job said the, the greatest problem in all this is not the children I've lost, it's not the health that I've lost, not the wealth that I lost. It's that I can't figure out what God's doing and I can't find him to ask him. You may have never been through anything like that in your life and I've certainly never been through what Job's been through, but I have been through seasons in darkness where, uh, you know, when you're a preacher, you know a lot about God. Your life is to study about him. And, and, and your, your, your vocation is to get to know Him. Well, there's been times in my life where, try as I may, I could not figure out what He was doing. And I just had to trust that He was who He says He is. This was a place, no doubt, of confusion. The smoke would impair the vision of anybody that was there. And so that would produce some things. Let me say a word not only about the place of the bottle, but let me say a word about the pollution of the bottle. Because remember, what David is saying here is, when I look up and see that bottle there that's been living in the smoke, it reminds me of what I feel like. What did he mean? There's basically two things that would have happened to that bottle as it hung up there. One is that smoke would cause it to be shrunken. It would dry out that bottle. And uh, leather of any kind always has some amount of moisture in it if if it's to be treated well and if it's to last. But that bottle hanging there in the smoke, all of the moisture would have been taken out and it would begin to shrivel up and it would no longer resemble what you would imagine a bottle to look like. The shrinking would take place, not because of what's going on on the outside of that thing, 
But because of what's going on on the inside, the heat would start shrinking it on the inside and it would draw it up. It's a reminder that oftentimes when we go through these things, it causes our life to shrink. So what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, when I think about the shrinking of this bottle, it reminds me of the private internal agony that very often accompanies affliction. You can be going through... So I'm talking about scars that we carry on the inside. You can be going through something and nobody know you're going through anything. Uh, you can be... Listen, that, that, that bottle started to dry up on the inside long before it ever dried up on the outside. And there's a great many people that are walking around and their heart and their life is not where it needs to be. They've learned how to paint a smile on and they've learned how to keep all that bottled up on the inside and pretend and fake their way through. Let me tell you something. Sooner or later, what's on the inside is going to make it to the outside. Very often when these afflictions happen, we, we begin to hope to just bluff our way through it and we begin to try to just maintain on the inside the sorrow and the suffering that we're experiencing. And it can cause our life to shrivel and shrink the way that this bottle would shrivel and shrink. It reminds us of private internal agony. But then it would cause a second thing to happen. It would stain that bottle. Uh, dwelling there, hanging there in the smoke and the soot, it would go from being very oftentimes something similar to this, a tan, a, a brown, a khaki color. But you know anything that's hung in smoke long enough, what will happen? It will begin to turn black. And at first it will be, it'll be a stain that could be wiped off. But if it hangs there long enough, it will just become a part of that material. I would say this, there's scars we carry on the inside. Sometimes our affliction produces scars we carry on the outside. It begins to change our spirit and disposition. It begins to change how we view things. You ever met somebody, I bet you have, that got church hurt before? And they won't step anywhere near the house of God today? Now listen, I, I found this. There's oftentimes people in that situation, oftentimes there's pettiness and there's childishness, but it don't change the fact that their entire spirit, their entire disposition, their entire way of living was changed by the hurt that they suffered and the hurt that they went through. And it, you know what it did? It produced a stain that, that never could, except by the grace of God, be washed away. Something they carried with them. I would say this, if the shriveling, shrinking reminds us of private, internal agony, uh, then the stain reminds us of public and external agony. Baggage and heartache that people carry around with them. David said, when I look at that thing, that's how I feel, just shriveled up, dried up, miserable. Uh, blackness and darkness in the uh, poetry of Middle Eastern writing was always uh, uh, equivalent to the idea of suffering and horror and agony. And so when David saw the blackness of that uh, bottle, he would have associated it with the idea of trials and agony and pain. Let me say a word tonight, not only about the place of the bottle, meaning where in general it is, and the pollution of the bottle, what effect that that produces upon it. But let me say a quick word about the positioning of that bottle. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, somebody hung it there. It didn't get there by accident. And it's hung in a very, very particular place in the tent. They would hang it up high, of course, because it would not be in the way. But I think about a few things that I, I think are just worth noting. And some of these, if I'm being honest, are just things that I know when I'm going through a hard time, I need to be comforted by. Let me notice first off that this bottle would have been placed there without discussion. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, 
The bottle's an inanimate object. Nobody would have asked its opinion. It would not have asked to be placed there, certainly. But you don't ask a bottle where it wants to go, no more than you ask your keys where uh, they want to be laid or your wallet where it wants to be put or you ladies where your purse wants to be sat down. You don't ask it because it ain't there for you to serve it. It's there to serve a purpose for you. You know, oftentimes, and I think this is probably true all the time, the, the afflictions we go through are never things that we ask for. Can I, can I remind you tonight, it's not a blind God that hangs us there. It's not an ignorant God that hangs us there. It's not a malicious God that hangs us there. It's not an unfeeling God that hangs us there. The afflictions that we face, it's a burden that we don't ask to be there, but it's also a blessing. Because you know what it tells us? The hand of a holy God hung us there. The hand of a holy God put us where we're at. And it may not be where we desire to be, but it may be where we're destined to be by the grace and wisdom of God. It was placed there without discussion. Let me make a second statement about it. It was placed there without destruction. I wrote it down this way. It was placed in the smoke, yes. But thank God it wasn't placed in the fire. It could have been put in the fire. But it wasn't put in the fire. It was put in the smoke. Can I remind you of this truth? Paul pinned this down. You know, the smoke... At the end of the day, you know why they were willing to do that? Because they knew that even though, listen carefully, even though it could shrink, if there was nothing on the inside of it, it would shrivel up. If it was full of something, it wouldn't shrivel up. And I'm going to say a word about why they might do that here in a moment. But if there was nothing on the inside, if it felt empty, if it felt poured out, it would shrivel up. But you know why they didn't mind hanging it up there? Because they could always fill it up again. I know you don't like to hear what I'm about to tell you, but it's the truth. You may not like to be poured out, but He pours you out because He knows He can fill you up again. You may not like to be hung up and shriveled up and stained and tarred and blackened, but you know why He does it? Because He knows that He can fill you up again. That smoke could only penetrate the outside. It couldn't touch what was on the inside. If it had been put in the fire, it would have destroyed it and could have destroyed it. I would say this, as a child and servant of God, we don't even have to fear the flame. The book of Daniel teaches us that. The book of Isaiah promises us that. That's not what David said. He didn't say like a bottle in the fire. He said like a bottle in the smoke. Very often the afflictions that we experience don't even touch the spiritual element unless we permit it to. Very often the only reason it ever reaches down onto the inside is because we uncap ourselves and let it get on the inside. But if we choose to rely upon the Lord... We can choose to keep those things touching only the outside, the externalities of our life. There are things, listen, that your problems can never touch. Your problems can never touch your salvation. Your problems can never touch the work of grace that God's done in your heart. Your problems can never touch your faith unless you allow them to. I would say this, Christ said your joy shall no man take. Your problems can't even touch your joy unless you permit it to. Now, listen, let me go ahead and preface it by saying, hey, I've been there. (laughs) Not that I've already arrived, either we're already perfect, but I follow after. I'm not saying I've not let it touch uh, my soul, but I'm saying I don't have to. You don't have to. It was placed in the smoke, not the fire. I was reminded of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He said, for which cause we faint not. And he's talking about his afflictions. 
in the midst of them. He said, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, he says, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, that's the thing, that's the externalities, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, he says, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I think this bottle was put there, placed there without destruction. Then let me say number three, it was placed there without desertion. And I, I put it this way, when we talk about being placed there without destruction, we could say, hey, it's in the smoke, but it's not in the fire. When we say that it's placed there without desertion, what I mean is it's placed in the smoke, but thank God it's not placed on the shelf. It's not placed in the garbage heap. It's not placed in the trash. The very fact that God permits affliction in your life is a good indicator that God's got a plan for it, and He's not done with you. You know, the Bible says, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to living in this world and having affliction? Well, the only alternative, if we won't live a life without affliction, the only way we're going to do it is to die to get there. You're going to live in this life, you're going to have problems from time to time. Well, what's, the, what's God's feelings about the alternative? The psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Uh, Paul said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. So if God is leaving you here, and if He's... Uh, permitting affliction and, and trouble and, and sorrow in your life, he would much rather just take you on home to him if he had no reason for it. But he does have a reason for it. The very fact that they hung this thing up in the tent and didn't throw it out the tent door was an indicator. Yeah, it may have been in the smoke, but guess what? They still planned on using it. You ever been in a problem so dark that you didn't see a way out and you didn't think there was a way out? And you didn't think, I mean, you just couldn't see any way God was ever going to make you happy or make you content or use you for His glory ever again. Can I remind you, the very fact that He permits this in your life is a reminder that He's got a plan and He's not done with you. Let me close with this thought. I find not only the place of the bottle interesting, the pollution of the bottle is is troubling but insightful. The positioning of the bottle gives me great comfort. But I don't think we could close out with saying a quick, without saying a quick word about the purpose uh, for this bottle. Now, here's the question: Why would it be put? Why would it be hung up in the first place? This is interesting. I, I, I jotted this down. I'll just read it to you. I think it would be easier to to just read it than it would be to try to quote it. A commentator made this statement: said it was the custom of the ancients to hang. Uh, bottles or wineskins in the smoke of a fire for very much the same reason that we might uh, do the same thing, setting uh, a bottle of grape juice on a hearth today, in order to do two things. One, to mellow the wine by a gradual and moderate warmth, and two, to bring it to an earlier perfection. When you would squeeze grape juice uh, fresh off the vine, oftentimes it would have a very tart and a very harsh taste to it. And only through a little bit of time would it be able to mellow into a more palatable and into a, a more pleasing taste and experience. And so very often, if they did it with purpose, not just to get it out of the way, but it wasn't uncommon for them to hang. They couldn't hang it in the fire. It would burn up the skin. But if they hung it up above the fire in the smoke, it would produce two things to the grape juice that was inside. Number one, it would mellow it. You know, oftentimes... Our afflictions, we may not ask for them, but you know our afflictions have a way sometimes of tempering our spirit and our attitude. 
Our afflictions have a way, if, for lack of a better way to say it, of mellowing us, humbling us, making us more tender to the afflictions and problems of other people. I, you spend a few years living for God and serving God and go through some, some, some hardships and go through some battles, and you'll begin to grow a little more tender towards those that are going through similar things. Uh, it's a young man's game to be harsh and to be caustic and and, and cavalier. But you live long enough and you'll find out everybody has their high places. Everybody has their low places. And it'll produce a sweeter taste to your life to go through afflictions. There are some people that can comfort the afflicted better than others because they've been through it. And they know how to talk to them and they know how to deal with them and they know what it's like go through those trials. It could be God's putting you through what He's putting you through to mellow you, to make you sweeter to the taste of those that are going through those same problems. There are some times that you've got to talk to somebody that that knows if you're going to get any help and comfort. That's not always true. God can give wisdom to people to impart to you. But there are times you just want to hear the voice of experience. You want to hear somebody that's been in the fire or been in the smoke because they know what it's like. has the ability to mellow us. But then number two, it would be to mature the contents, which was really what the mellowing process was, was the maturing process. <laughs> Isn't it funny how those two things go hand in hand? And they ought to go hand in hand in our life. It ought to be as we get older that we get sweeter. That's not always the case in some people's lives. But for a child of God, that's how it should be. The older we get, the sweeter we get. But you know, it would mature the contents of that bottle there are some lessons we only learn by going through it. And there is, there are some depths of spiritual development that we can only get to by experiencing those trials, those valleys, those afflictions. I know you don't want to be hung up like that. I don't either. None of us do. We would never ask for it. But may we take comfort in the fact that it's an omnipotent, omniscient, all-loving, all-powerful God that positions us there. And may we ever trust in His wisdom and in His plan. Let's bow together this evening as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. If the Lord may be dealt with your heart about something, then I want you to obey Him tonight. I want you to deal with Him this evening. Father, I pray that You'd bless this invitation. I pray that Your people get help from You. Lord, I love You, and I thank You for helping us tonight. By Your Word, we ask it in Christ's name with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. She'll play as soon as she's ready. But if God dealt with your heart, why don't you come down and pray? You might be going through something like this. Uh, it may not be what David went through, but you might be going through your own trial, through your own problem. It might be God is putting you through the smoke and you feel the heat of the fire. Why don't you come down and say, Lord, let it not be wasted upon me. Let it not be wasted upon me. Let it mellow me. Let it mature me. It may shrink my life, but God, fill me up again that I might be used for Your glory. These are praying. We have all the time we need. If God touched your heart, I hope you'll come tonight.